You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast. And with me today is my co-founder and good friend, Nick Bugs for our Indie Talk. Nick, say hello. What's up, folks? Ready to do this again. Absolutely. And this is uh, week eight uh, for many of you listening and, and for us a little bit of, of self-isolation. I say a little bit because I think, Nick, you're still... Uh, you're in Maryland and is there still uh, lockdown orders there? Yep. Things are, and it's interesting, right? You say lockdown and a lot of us also say quarantine It's just, you know, but the, the way it's really going is what's safer at home. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's odd because I don't feel lockdown. You know, the stores that we go to are still open. You know, we're not big restaurant people, you know, so we don't miss that as much, but it's like, if I got to go to the store to buy some groceries or, you know, there's a, you, you don't nice mean, little, you don't mean people in Maryland aren't big restaurant people. You mean you and your, they're just me and my, my family, right? Okay, now. Got it. Maryland, all, Marylanders on the whole, man, we just <laughs> screwed that restaurant that we don't have those here. Just to be um, clear, it's a little confusing <laughs> at first. <laughs> right. Let me be clear. So, so, you know, we're just, yes, we're, we're not missing out on a lot of those things, uh, but it's just, it's just weird, you know, still walking out with a mask and gloved hands and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, we're, we're still on the, uh, the safer at home rules. Yeah. And, and we call it safer at home as well. I, I know there are some, there's rhetoric and then, so I was trying to use the terminology that maybe, uh, a state government is using for this. Um, the terms I use are, are accurate to the situation. I try to make them a little bit more, more accurate. So I won't use the word quarantine, for example, cause I'm not sick. Right. Uh, yep. I'll say self-isolation or sequestering or whatever, but that doesn't mean that's what the governor of Tennessee, where I'm at is using those, that type of language. Um, right. But in this case, I think he is and, and Tennessee's opening back up. I think, uh, the, the slow phased rollout started, really last week and, and started in earnest, uh, May, May 1st. So some of this stuff seems like insanity, but I, I had uh, a couple of weeks ago, had some, uh, people I respect whisper in my ear and say, this is really about liability. Uh, this is really about the idea that if I let you come on my movie set, for example, and you get sick, then you can sue my production company, let's say, or me individually for negligence. If I let your kid come to school and one kid gets sick and dies, let's, let's say, um, that school board can be sued. If I let you come to the sporting event and one fan gets sick and dies, that fan can sue that league, uh, for negligence. And, it's, it's the height of insanity and it, and it, and it makes me feel like 
a lot of the fear of reopening is being driven by lawyers who are salivating and ready to sue whoever they can. Uh, we've seen articles where lawyers are ready to sue China. That's not going to work. But who can we sue? Who's responsible? People are dying. Somebody has to pay, Nick. And uh, it's a shame because I, I, when I think about it in, in regard to the movie business, there is no such thing as a zero risk, zero risk set. Yeah, I think, you know, as I look at this stuff and you talk about liability, you know, I actually wonder, you know, how we define that. You know, I think about, you know, with my kids going back to school at some point, I don't know when that's going to be, or restaurants, you know, reopening or whatever the case is, you know, I think what it comes down to is all of these establishments under some rule, some law need to be able to make reasonable uh, precautions to prevent whatever it is. You know, it's like kitchens have to go through certain things in order to be graded by, you know, the, the local government, state government, county government, whatever it is, uh, to make sure to certify them to be able to, to handle food. You know, there's certain precautions you got to take around, you know, maybe the physical security of a building, depending on where you are. So I think that there's something you know, that we, we probably don't know specifically, you know, what these things are, but there's something that says that you must be able to take reasonable precautions to ensure the health and safety of, let's say, insert thing here, patrons, students, whatever it is. And the challenge right now with, with COVID is that uh, because of how, how quickly it came upon us and the, the, I guess there's a lack of clear understanding across the board about who this is affecting and how this is affecting those people, then it makes it difficult for restaurants, schools, public buildings, public places to actually uh, create these reasonable precautions. Cause it'd be so like, and again, in my head, um, you know, not being a lawyer, it's like, how can you sue a producer if someone on set gets COVID, right? It's, it's not about the exchange of these, of this cold, this, this virus, you know, no more than you would have sued if someone got the flu or, or pneumonia or strep throat from someone, you know, it's basically the same type of thing. Um, I think it just all comes down to reasonable precautions in a pandemic type situation, right? Where there's just right. such heightened fear about what COVID can do. Like there's, you know, I mean, I think there's still a pervasive fear that, you know, anyone who gets it could die, you know, which is not necessarily the science of it. But because the fear exists there, yeah, you got to take these extra precautions. And if you're not, then you become liable. And it's just a kind of a weird thing, right? Like if you're not taking the precautions that we don't know what all the precautions are, then you're liable. So you have to wait, yeah. right, until not, I guess you could say the industry, but you have to wait until the federal government. You have to wait until, you know, there's the unions, the guilds, all these all these groups who are going to weigh in on all this stuff. They're going to tell you what the reasonable precautions are to, to keep people from getting sick. It's just, uh, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. They, um, Steven Soderbergh, <laughs> in, in the case of life imitating art, has been... Uh, put atop a task force, uh, I, I'm supposing because he directed Contagion. And 
Yeah, and, one and, can and, only believe that that's yeah. the case. <laughs> and it's his job to to decide, you know, how we do this. Now, Bonsai, we we have created a COVID nineteen checklist um, that you can find on our website, uh, new website by the way, Bonsai dot film. Uh, and we'll talk more about that later uh, in this conversation. But we have our own checklist, and you know, it's eerily similar to. Um, a lot of the, and I don't mean to imply that, that, that someone is drafting off of our work. I'm saying that I think that maybe to push back a little bit on what you're saying, Nick, I think that some of the precautions are a little bit understood. And I think we do understand who it affects the worst, but the issue we have in America, and this has been spoken about at length on multiple platforms is that America has this trait of being sick without knowing it. And so if you're obese, for example, you might just say I'm overweight without knowing what effect that's having on your immune system and other parts of your body every single day. Um, and so, you know, we know it affects people with, with, that are immune compromised and, and have to deal with comorbidities. And we know age is a factor like it is in any disease. And so, um, you have, let me, you let have, me jump in there real quick yeah. and just say that. So that's the science of it. When, and you're right, right. We, we know, but I think the the challenge is, is that I guess you could say that we on, you know, like from a mass perspective, don't necessarily believe Right. Right. Like, right. We, I, we, I we believe we believe it's a death sentence and it's Exa- ex- exactly. And that's, it's that's not point. not right. Close. Right. Like, so I know that. Yeah. A very good point. And, and all I'm saying is, is that the precautions seem very similar. So yep. here we are making a COVID checklist and we're we're going through. And I remember, you know, brainstorming this with you and us going through that checklist and saying, OK, what would what precautions would we want to see? on a set right now, if you were to shoot or start production on a, on a, um, on a project right now, what would make me and you feel safe? What would make me and you feel good about going on set without disrupting anyone's, um, personal privacy or, or rights, uh, uh, here in America. Right. But those precautions that we came up with are the same thing. It makes, um, everyone else feels safe, apparently, you know, because when you look at what Steven Soderbergh is putting together and when you look at what uh, law firms like Loeb and Loeb and, and, and Ramo Law out in California uh, are, are looking at, they're looking at, OK, uh, sanitizer everywhere, uh, prepackaged foods. Um, some are more draconian than others, in my opinion. Right. Um you can have a test that says you're negative and bring those test results to set, but testing people every day or making them carry papers or making them carry a card or wear a bracelet that says they're negative is kind of ridiculous to me and silly. Right. But other people really like that idea, but that's how afraid everyone is. But going back to set right now, doing things uh, on set, I think, you take the precautions to satisfy people who have that fear and then you can have a good project. Maybe I think that it, that the idea that you're going to have a zero risk set is, is 
unrealistic. I mean, people die in movies. Um, people crew die in movies. They get hurt. There's workers comp. The, the difference is Nick is that there are precedents for that. Like, like producers know what to do. Uh, they know how to triage that from a liability standpoint. They don't know how to triage a pandemic. Yeah. But you know, you pull back and you, you know, let's just take everything you just said and, and think about it, about there's precedent for that and, and there's risk, right? So I do a lot of, you know, risk analysis work and you have to first establish risk of what, right? So if you take the numbers, like you just mentioned, and you could probably extrapolate those across the entire country because there's, you know, there's epicenters of this issue, like in New York, right? You have way too many people living on top of each other, right? So you have a lot more people who are getting sick, not necessarily dying, um, but a lot more people getting sick and then flooding hospitals and causing other issues and so on and so forth. But if you take the numbers for what they are across the country, you're going to see that you're going to have the majority of the people are not even just above 65, but they're above 80. You know, yeah. Um, so when you say risk of what risk of getting sick, right? Well, maybe the risk of getting sick is actually equivalent to the risk of catching the cold or the flu. So what people are really afraid of is dying. So what is the risk to the people who are on set of dying? Okay, well, let's look at the, the people who are on set and determine are they above 65? Are they above the age of 80? Uh, do they have comorbidities? Right. These are the people who are most extremely at risk. Right. So those are the folks that either are going to want to protect themselves by opting out of the process or those are the ones who want to protect themselves by wearing a mask and, and maybe wearing gloves. Uh, but for the rest of the people that are on set that don't have comorbidities or are not in that age range, um, then what is the risk that you're trying to mitigate? And there's a, there's a theater in Texas that has opened up 25% of, um, opened up to, I, I is that right? 25% of, of their theaters are going to open or, or they're going to, or is it this theater is going to allow 25% capacity, right? That's just uh, a capacity. It, yeah. Capacity yeah. and see how that works out. Um, It'll be interesting to track that again, like um, the reason I bring up the whole zero risks thing, risk thing is because Loeb and Loeb were quoted in Variety saying that until you can provide zero risk on set, they don't see how production can start. And that blew my mind because, you know, I, I don't understand how you could have a zero risk set. And so now you have this theater that's opening up to 25% capacity and I think they're getting, we're going to see, but are they getting pushback, Nick, or, or are people mad at this? No, I mean, because it's the state, you know, that's what it comes down to is the governors are, are opening up in certain places. And, you know, what they're saying is that they're going to take, you know, reasonable accommodations, you know, to ensure the, and I always say to, to mitigate against the, the threat. Right. And, you know, some theaters are opening and saying, well, you know, you have to wear a mask very much like up here where you have to wear a mask to go in the grocery store. Uh, and some theaters are saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to require people to wear masks, uh, but we will employ social distancing rules. Right. So like every other aisle is going to have um, seating. Right. Or every other row, excuse me. Right. So you're going to go down this row and you're, there's going to be no one sitting there. And then for groups, they're going to require that they be six feet apart. Right. So if you go to the theater with three people, well, you're going to have, uh, you know, six feet between you and the next group of people. No, let me let me stop there. This is this is insanity. If I came with these people, 
No, no, no. With, uh, no, between the groups, not between oh, okay. individuals okay. in the group. Okay. I was say, I, if I came with you, <laughs> right? What Don't are we separate us about? exactly. But this is across the, the state car. of this is across the state of Texas, right? All right, theaters well, are allowed to open at twenty five percent capacity. Well, they are allowed to, but that's not saying that they are. I think there's actually only a handful of of theaters or theater chains that are going to actually open. So you're not going to see theaters in Texas just opening. No, they're taking these, the companies, the theater groups themselves are making the determination of whether or not they want to open. It's like AMC theaters are closed nationwide. Right. Right. They're just not doing it. You know, they're not going there. So I think with theaters, too much, too much liability, right? Exactly. And, you know, there's also the, the other stuff that's happening, you know, with these theater groups is they're, they're mad, you know, at the production companies for stuff, you know, the whole AMC and universal thing that's going on. So there's a, there's other things at play here, but you know, one of the cool things that they were saying in the, the with the Texas theater, you know, the guys, what is, who is the CEO of, I think this is Evo, you know, we're operating more for psychological value than net income. Says CEO, Tim Handren. Hmm. That's right? a lot, like, a lot to dig in on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's, it's, you know, of course you could use the CEO and, you know, you, you know, you want to open back up so you can make your money. But what, what I'm saying is that like, you know, this is why some of them likely are opening where other ones are just, they're staying closed. It's like, you know, we, we have to get back to some semblance of a, of normal or reality or just get back out into the world, uh, you know, getting the, the economy going or whatever it is. But it's just like, you know, again, some of these theaters are going to open back up. They're going to shift the way that they do food. You know, they're going to have all their employees wearing masks and gloves. You know, there's going to be, I think they're talking about like Disneyland style uh, lines, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to have potentially, and I don't know if they're going to do screenings there, you know, but I think at least they'll have a sign up that says, if, you know, if you have a fever you know, or if a temperature, you know, greater than a hundred, then please don't come in kind of thing. So they're going to do like we talked about earlier. It's like, what kind of reasonable accommodations can you make? And I think that a case could be made even in court if it came down to it, where it's like based on the current knowledge, right, of COVID-19, the way that it's spread, um, the people who are most at risk, we as this theater are operating um, under the best intentions of our patrons, Right. Right. Yeah. Again, based on industry knowledge, you know, and they can probably cite papers and they can have um, consultants come in and do whatever they can to help limit their liability. Because, you know, at some point I do question, I'm like, how liable is a theater for getting someone sick? You know, on paper, like, because, you know, we've had the cold, we've had the flu, we've had strep, we've had all these things, you know, they all fit under the same um, umbrella of, you know, of a virus, you know? So is there actually a precedent for any establishment to have had to pay anybody out for catching one of these things? Right. Yeah. And right. How, so, how, how can, how can one prove that they caught it at the theater when the gestation period is 12 to 14 days and some say even up to 27 days? Right. So that's, that's my point. It's like, how can you even, I mean, you can go through the process of trying to sue someone, but, is it even a legitimate thing? Like, could, is that a, 
is that a lost cause in general? And is that I, I think these, uh, I think the lawyers are hungry, Nick. They, they may be, but you know, at the same at the same time, you know, so they'll get paid regardless, right? Because you have to, they get paid when you start your well, suit. Well, one one, <laughs> one thing I thought was pure comedy was uh, Apple recently lost a class action lawsuit, and the two people who uh, had the initial claim got seventy five hundred dollars each. Every other person in the class got three dollars each. The lawyers got five point four million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's it's, a, it's hey, they they did the work to make it happen, right? Everybody else just, you know, they are the damaged. So um, you know, they they were they were part of the process, um, right? But yeah. So I'm not, you know, we're definitely not putting it on lawyers or anything like saying they're you know they're sharky or anything like that coming no, after people. But of course, um, I, I think that. I think, again, when it comes to mitigating the risk, I do believe that there might actually be precedent, you know, about, you know, uh, viruses and things like that. And in, in some cases somewhere that would preclude an individual from being able to successfully sue a theater or even a grocery store chain. And I think, you know, again, if if they're perceived as doing everything possible to mitigate the risk, which Again, I don't really know that it is 100% incumbent upon a theater to do all of this stuff. I think it's really a society thing. I think it's more perception than anything else. There's a narrative. It's like, so we're going to risk a bunch of people dying for the economy. And it reminds me of it reminds me of sort of how people use the word community to when a community is just a bunch of individuals in one area and the economy is not a thing. Nope. It's not that we need to save the economy. It's that the economy is made up of individuals that have jobs and, and are teetering on the brink of collapse. So when you, so it's not that you're saying we want to open these theaters back up because we need to get our movies sold again, right? Or we need to get these movies watched and people need something to do and we need to get people spending money again. That's not what it is. That's not what it's about. It's about letting people save other people. The it's, it's people versus people, right? So if we let, if, 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 if all the stay at home orders are, are dropped, then people are risking their health because of COVID. If the stay at home orders are kept and maintained, people are risking their lives by not having work, money, food, etc. And a scared and desperate human being to me is 30 times more scary than COVID. And I think independent filmmakers are particularly uh, hurt in this moment. Um, um, because the money was already super tight. And we've talked about that before, um, which is a nice little segue into um, going over some just quickly, some first principles we wanted to talk about today. So um, we talk about certain things you can do during, and we have for the last couple of weeks, what you can do during uh, uh, being sequestered, safer at home, et cetera. And a lot of it has evolved around creating content for social media 
um, which we're seeing like people doing, people are really stir crazy, Nick. Like there's a lot, there's more content than I've ever seen. Uh, just from the people we track, it's like, whoa, they are like producing content all the time. It's really exciting and it's great. But some of the first principle things that um, you have to remember when you're making the content is, and we've, we've spoken about this before, is make your content with somebody in mind, with an audience in mind. Um, and if you want to expand your audience, make your content with an expanded audience in mind and then make sure you tag those people in those posts. Tagging is very powerful because... It's just like anything else in the world. If your name is mentioned in something, the first thing you want to do is check it out. If it's nonsense, you ignore it. If it's really awesome content, you that person will comment back to you. And you do that every day. And before you know it, it starts to grow and grow and grow. And just to be clear in terms of marketing yourself and branding yourself as an entity, whether you be a director, writer, actor, producer, etc., Email is still the most effective way to have a one-on-one conversation with the people who follow and support you. And so if you're not building an email list right now, start building an email list. There are lots of clever ways to get people to join that list. And there's a lot of direct ways to get people to join that list. It is astonishing to me how we forget this sometimes. And as artists, we don't want to be rejected, but you have to strengthen that muscle because you get 100, you don't get 100% of what you don't ask for. So simply asking for what you want is super powerful, Nick. Yeah, I believe it. You know, it's something that we, I think, like you said, first principles type of stuff, you know, it's even gets back to, I think, even I think when I was a kid, you, you heard that, right? If, if you don't ask, then the answer is always no. Yep. Or you hear the other one, which is, you know, what's, what's the worst that could happen? They'll say no. Right. I mean, like, <laughs> it's like, it's not the end of the world to, to ask the question, especially if you want or need something. Right. So, right. so yeah, put it out there. And like you said, yeah, email lists are, are still a huge thing, uh, especially because, you know, getting an email from someone uh, usually means that they're invested in you in some way. Right. Right. That's, that's it. And they're, and they're, and I, and when I say invested, it's, it's more active than passive, right? They've had to give you that for some reason for communication, uh, versus passive, which is like, you know, on a social where you can just happen to see someone's handle or something like that. And you might want to put a note in the comment or DM, you know, those are passive. It's just out there. You know, people have the choice to use it or not. This is something where they just, someone gave that to you. Uh, so there's a certain level of trust there. So, yeah, and, and, and I go on Instagram live, Nick, all the time. Sorry to interject, but I'll, I will lose this otherwise. <laughs> but, and there'll be like um, something like 20 or 30 stories in one story. Right? Like, you know how you watch it and it's like shot by shot, right? right. Yeah. And I think to myself, what if that individual did a pivot and made that into a newsletter? And then had an email list. So just a, just a thought, for example. Yeah. And I think, well, basically you're just saying, I think what we would always say is part of our, our mantra here, but you know, it's just find the creative ways, um, not to just create content, put content out there, uh, but creative ways to facilitate engagement. And I think that's the part that I think a lot of people lose on, you know, folks who are on, let's say like YouTubers or people who are on Instagram or other places, 
you kind of, I think from the outside, it looks like they're just creating silly content. They're just doing crazy stuff or they're just putting out a lot of videos. It's like, no, they're actually creating more opportunities for engagement uh, because there'll be a lot of content out there, but then there's always an ask, right? Or like, when's the last time you like, you asked someone to like your post or to follow your account or to share your work or to sign up for, like you said, a newsletter or sign up for a special product, you know? So it's not just in the providing of the content, it's really in engaging your audience uh, or creating multiple ways to engage your audience. And remember, engagement is a, is a two-way street. Right. So just because they watch doesn't mean you're engaged. Well, well, that's my whole point is, is you could, so engagement is the key. Let me, let me try to be clear on this. Yep. You could make a shorter Instagram story and put more of your content in a newsletter and then you're in control. When you put your stuff on social media, the biggest downside of social media is you are not in control. You are at the, uh, you know, you, you're, you're at the, uh, beck and call of that algorithm, right? So there's an opportunity that the people you're trying to engage with don't even see it. They won't be in, in a lot of times you don't go in and search for someone, one person in particular on social media networks. You just take what's put in front of you, right? right. Yep. When you have a newsletter or you're creating content on your own and you're engaging directly with your audience, you know, they're going to see it. Even if they don't open it, they saw it. Right. And you controlled the narrative versus the narrative being controlled by uh, a major corporation. Yeah. And that's it. I think you, it's, you hit the nail on the head, you know? So it's, it's really about leveraging the content that you put out there to create and facilitate engagement. And you can do that in, in so many, you know, non-social media ways uh, that provide lasting value to your folks while, you know, increasing that, that email list that you can, you know, leverage later on for a whole different project. Yeah. I, I have this vision and we talk about the different waves of the film industry and, and that we're in this fourth wave now. And the fifth wave is rapidly coming. And the fifth wave again is where, uh, content is completely democratized and egalitarian and every single person could have their own streaming platform. And I imagine this world where the source code for a streaming platform is just public and someone can literally just create their own platform anytime they want. And then it's their job to market and push people to their platform and, you know, getting a head start on that. Nothing wrong with that. Um, looking at all the different ways that you can control your content instead of being controlled and making content that really boosts some, some other company's value is a great, a great place to start. So, uh, on to a new segment, Nick, we have something we're going to start doing and I'm really excited about this. It's our mantra. It's, and you usually hear Nick say it at the very end of every one of these indie talks, which is be better, be creative, be engaged. But each week we want to pick a one or two things, one or two movies, one or two people, creatives, uh, apps, whatever it may be, resources that we think meet the mark of, uh, of being better, being creative and being engaged, which is the bonsai way. And today, uh, we want to give props to the movie bad education, uh, written by Mike Mikowski. And, uh, typically we would say this is a film that, 
would not fall into our typical sort of indie category. It's one of those indies with an asterisk because it has Hugh Jackman in it, and, and it has Alice and Janie, and it and it has um, the two main uh, Ray Romano. Sorry, losing my mind. Yeah, yeah, Ray those are, those are definitely the two main names um, that are carrying that that film right now. Uh, but I think there's actually, if you if you peel back outside of just the cast, uh, the producers on that on that film are are well known and and, and storied folks as well. Right, exactly. So in, in this case, you might say, well, why are Nick and Chris teasing us with a movie like this? Well, it's really about the process. So it's not as if Mike Mikowski had. Uh, this long list of movie credits where he's written a bunch of things. It's not as if, uh, you know, the, the, the director uh, of the film, Corey Finley has had this long list of film credits to his name. Um, no, uh, that, that's not how this started. So the reason why we give them the be better, be creative, be, be uh, engaged um, kudos for this week is because what Mike did was he wrote this script on spec from a New York Times article and the script was so strong that he was able to get the director to sign on and then from the director signing on they were able to get Hugh Jackman or the producers those producers were then able to get Hugh Jackman Alice and Jane etc and it becomes a thing they go to Toronto they do well and they turn out uh, um the end result, rather, the outcome there is that they sold this movie to HBO for $20 million. Um, and it very well might get more eyes on an HBO than it would have in a, in a theatrical run. Um, but that whole process of being entrepreneurial, saying, okay, I might have a story in mind, but let me write an article. Now this article was close to Mike Mikowski's heart. He grew up in this place. He lived it. And then he saw someone write an article about it. So there, it was very close. He was actually writing what he knows. But at the same time, I used to write songs that way. I used to go and find article uh, articles, look at their headlines and then write songs based on that headline, just as good practice for, for learning how to write songs. And I think there's something very entrepreneurial and indie about that. And it also speaks to the fact, Nick, that, it really matters a lot of uh, how good your script is. Um, a lot of times you'll see indie uh, productions being made on a C plus script because that's just what the script is. That's what we have. That's what we're going to shoot. This is what I wrote. And now let's go make it instead of really getting that critical tough feedback that says, maybe this isn't a movie or maybe you should try again with something else or some known IP so that your movie can be great. Any thoughts, Nick? Yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the things that actually you might've said it before, um, actually on this podcast or just in conversation, you know, one of the things about writing this film, uh, based off of this specific article and based off of experiences that, that he's lived through and other people have lived through in a very specific area. Um, I think it's, it comes down to like, who are you writing this story for? Right. And that's a challenge that I know that I've had. And I'm sure you've had when we've had to review either scripts or we've watched uh, films from indie filmmakers that it's it's very hard sometimes to figure out who like who cares. Right. Who did you write this story for? And in some instances, we'll hear, well, I wrote it for me. Right. It's this is art. This is my art. I'm trying to get it out there. I'm like, that's great, you know, from an art standpoint, but it's not a great from a business standpoint. Right. 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 Business, you know, from a business standpoint, you know, you writing something for yourself doesn't get you $20 million from HBO. 
you know, this was an article written about something that, that happened in, in real life. You know, people um, who are associated with that time or that city or that neighborhood or that whatever it is, they can relate to it. It's something that was put out. Like you said, it was the Times. You know, this is no small paper, right? Um, so, you know, you put something out that people have consumed, people are aware of. It, it There's there's some underlying meaning or theme or social impact to it. There's something there. Um, and then, you know, when we push back on filmmakers, you know, after saying, well, I wrote it for me, then it's like, oh, well, well, no, no. Everybody has a friend or a family member who goes through a thing like this or everybody or everybody. It's like, again, you're not winning on everybody. Right. You're winning right? on specificity. That's- Exactly. And I think that's the key. Again, that's another thing that he did here that actually makes, you know, a lot of sense is that, you know, again, there's a very specific niche target, you know, that he's looking at. And again, if the story is great, and of course he got some, some great folks attached to this thing, you know, it can be, it can get you the $20 million deal, right? So it's not for you, filmmaker, (laughs) right? For one, it's not for everybody, this is something very specific, very targeted. And as Chris mentioned, and will always mention, you know, story is king. So that has to be a great piece of a great work of art in itself, just the story in order to get you to the next level where, you know, a director like of that caliber signs on. And then that director brings in producers of a certain caliber that sign on. And then it just kind of like you have the domino effect from there. Yeah, exactly. So, so kudos to Bad Education. Um, it happens to be a really good movie as well. And um, the acting in it is really fantastic as well. It's like it's and I keep saying really such a weak adjective, but um, <laughs> it's it's a fantastic uh, movie and it is acted in a superb way. I think everybody will enjoy it. It's on HBO now. So go check it out. And if uh, this inspired you go out and look at what IP intellectual property that is, is out there and um, see if you can write a story around it. That's really compelling because you know, it's already going to be a winner because it exists in the world and is already successful. For example. Yeah. And, and let me, let me give the people the, the quick synopsis. Um, again, this is part of the, the being better part of what we do, right? It's kind of like, okay, if you could write a story about a thing that uh, could get picked up by HBO, just listen to this quick synopsis. The beloved superintendent of New York's Rosalind School District and his staff, friends, and relatives become the prime suspects in the unfolding of the single largest public school embezzlement scandal in American history. That last sentence is the key. Correct. But, you know, the other part of it is so that's it is the key. Correct. Uh, But when I look at this as well, you know, the beloved superintendent of New York's Roslyn School District. Right. Right there. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, how many people are in New York. Right. You know, probably in the in the Roslyn School District. You know, if you just get those people you know, to watch this film because of the, the geographic location in which the story uh, transpires, then you can probably have a network effect that would be worth that $20 million. Right. And, and on their platform going into HBO Max, it's going to live forever. So I think um, I think kudos, kudos to that team. Kudos to HBO uh, for um, believing in in you know, indie, indie film, which doesn't, 
have an opportunity. A movie like this just doesn't get put in the theaters anymore. And indie films that have been bought out of festivals have not done well. And so it's really incumbent upon independent filmmakers right now. This is the moment right now where your content has to reach a level. It has to be the best work you've ever done because right now is a wonderful opportunity for that to, to strike gold uh, for your career if your content is good enough. Right now is not the time to cut corners. Right now is the time to make the best content of your life because the demand has never been higher and indie film is literally on the ropes uh, because good independent films have been purchased that uh, have not been financially successful. So therefore, that's an upside down business model. Um, speaking of IP, by the way, we have a new website, Nick, uh, that we've developed for over the last two months. We've been working hard. Nick, do you want to tell people the highlights of going to bonsai.film right now? Oh yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a great resource right now. I think that's one of the things that we definitely worked on, uh, to make sure that we're putting our content and our insights out there for the world. You know, again, we do that here on the podcast, you know, we do that on our, our indie talks on the podcast, as well as our, with our interviews with our creatives. Uh, but we also wanted to put a space out there where we could provide a little bit more of our insights. So yeah, if you go to bonsai.film, uh, you'll see our industry insights section, which will provide some thoughts from us. Um, that is basically a growing collection of the, the insights, experiences, uh, and things that we've learned along the way that we're now just sharing out with the world of filmmakers, uh, so that we can, again, live true to, you know, our, our mottos of, uh, be better, right. Through constant education, constant learning, you know, we can definitely all get better. And then through, uh, being engaged, you know, this is one more avenue for us to reach out to the filmmaking community, uh, provide what we believe to be value to you folks. And then it also gives you an opportunity, you know, when you read, you know, any of the articles we put there to comment, you know, share with us your thoughts or share with us some, some things that you might want to see us write about, you know, we're, or talk about on the podcast. So, you know, again, creates another opportunity for us to get engaged there. Um, you know, we're going to be moving forward, providing more resources right now. Chris had mentioned that we had put a COVID-19 get back to work checklist on the site that's available for you. Just hop over to the site. You'll see that. You know, we've got, um, we're going to be putting some more resources like, you know, our filmmaking friends and introducing you a little bit more to who they are and what they do as well. So it's a growing platform for us just to, again, continue to live with uh, or up to our mottos of be better, be creative, and be engaged. So, yeah, jump over there. Let us know what you think. You know, you can always, you know, reach us on, on social. You can reach us through the website. Uh, there's definitely ways, a bunch of different ways to contact us and, and let us know your thoughts and uh, anything that you'd like for us to put out there for you. I love it. And there's so much more to come as we continue to, to bolster the site and provide more resources for you. We're, we're truly excited about it. Um, and other places to contact us, Nick, would be on social media. So uh, if you guys have any comments, uh, anything you want to ask of us um, in regards to this episode or any other episode of the Make It Podcast, Indie Talk or Not, you can do that on Instagram and on Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. We'll come right up. You can also email us directly at contact. So uh, C-O-N-T-A-C-T, contact at Bonsai.film. And we will reply to those emails as well. Uh, so 
This has been another great Indie Talk. Thank you guys for hanging in there with us again. We'll be back with more interviews very soon. Nick, sign us off with the motto. (laughs) Yeah, I'll first say, yeah, we really appreciate you guys for listening in and being part of the conversation. We invite you to to ping us and see if you'd like to be on the podcast as well. Um, But with that, as always, be better, be creative, and be engaged. And thank you for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, I'm tripping. Uh, All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, man. You take it easy. All right, man. Be good. All right. You too. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it if you haven't already you can join our podcast community on apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for make it bonsai creative if you do that the show will pop right up you can also follow us on instagram and twitter at underscore bonsai creative and on facebook by searching for bonsai creative and of course if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success Go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.